you've been here for a little while, you know we are talking about uh, resurrection relationships. And it started out to be two messages, and then it grew to be three messages. <laughs> and now, guess what? <clears throat> I was The Monday evening service knows this because I, I was praying Monday, and uh, this came very strongly to me uh, that I needed to preach this week about death and about destruction and about the profound influence of the negative on our lives, listen to this, for good. And so I want to preach about covenant this week because covenant means something dies. And then next week I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and I want to talk about the effect that the Holy Spirit has on resurrection relationship. You go from the most negative to the most positive. Um, And so... I want to uh, want you to come back because these messages are from the Lord. I would like to begin this service uh, appropriately enough praying for the civil unrest that is happening across the country because of the Rodney King um, uh, verdict. Um, this is not uh, simply uh, because it's a good thing to do, but... It speaks so uh, accurately to what we are about to say that it's very appropriate that we begin by prayer uh, for the communities across the country that are, that are experiencing the frustration of that verdict. So would you pray with me for a few minutes about that? Father, it's almost like the 60s again. It's because the 60s never really went away is because we have not adequately spoken to all of the problems that were brought forth in the 60s. We pray for several things tonight. We pray uh, for understanding uh, the appropriate frustration of a verdict that seems unjust. We were not a part of that jury. We did not hear it all. So therefore, we must reserve our absolute verdict. But we certainly can understand the frustration of communities, of people who feel that they're being ignored. By the same token, Lord, we can pray for the protection of the jury members who did their very best to reach a conclusion that uh, they surely would know was dangerous. So we pray for justice, and that is a very dangerous thing to do, but we pray for it. We pray for justice for Rodney King. We pray for justice for the jury members. We even pray for justice who use this as an occasion for sin, who are not interested really in verdicts, but in uh, television sets and... uh, uh, stealing and, and lowering themselves to uh, animal-like behavior. We pray for the innocent people. Um, we know there are really no innocent people, but the people innocent in this occasion who are undergoing loss because of it, and we pray that you would surround them with your love and care. And so we pray for justice and we pray for mercy. But most of all, we would pray for your sovereignty that works out of this situation what is better than what was before this situation. We know that you can do it, and we know that you will do it. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's talk tonight about life through destruction. If you will turn to Genesis chapter 15 with me, you know our touchstone scripture is Jesus as he was resurrected. Mary tries to grab on to that resurrection body, and Jesus says, Mary, don't cling to me as I am now. Things are changing, and I am going to the Father. And the point that was made, the point that began this series, was this point. That sometimes in life, in order to preserve the same relationship with the same person, you have to let go of the form that that relationship presently has. You have to let it die completely. You can't cling to it. Because in clinging to that person with that relationship, you will certainly end the relationship. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it die so that it can rise up in a different form. And that's what Christ was talking about. Mary, don't cling to me as I am right now. Because if you try to cling to the past then I can't be as close to you as I want to in the future, and as I promised I would be. Now, last week you remember a couple of emotional and psychological hints we gave you to prepare for resurrection relationships. We said that if you know that that relationships are going to change, and most relationships do, and if you know they're going to change radically, you've got to discipline yourself to two things. You've got to, first of all, hang on loosely to the form that you presently have. Not to the person, but to the form. Hang on loosely. When you fall, let the rope go. Remember we talked about water skiing. One of the basic rules in water skiing is if you fall, let go of the rope. All right? If you fall, if you crash in a relationship, let go of the form. Secondly, continue, no matter what things look like, to invest yourself, invest your heart in that relationship. What Jesus did... When he said, come here, <clears throat> I want to breathe on you, I want to give you the Holy Spirit, he was continuing to give himself to that relationship that they had. All right, now, I'm going to talk to you about the covenant and about the character of the covenant because the covenant means something dies. And I want to show you the form of the covenant that was used throughout the Old Testament. This is God's covenant with Abram. First of all, he promises him a son. And Abraham says, how am I going to know that you're going to give me a son? And he gives the form to his promise. Look in verse 6. First of all, he says, Abraham believed in the Lord and reckoned it to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham didn't just believe intellectually, but he placed his confidence in that promise. Now, this is God speaking to Abraham. Verse 9. So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And then he, Abraham, brought all these to him, the Lord, and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds. Now you see what's happening. He's cutting the animals in two. They die. They are divided. Now the Bible says, I'm going to skip a couple of verses. When the sun was going down, Abram went to sleep. Deep sleep fell on him. And now skip over to verse 17 with me and watch what happens. And it came about that when the sun had set and that it was very dark, behold, there appeared a smoking 
oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. In other words, the symbol of the Lord. Now, for those of you who don't know Scripture very well, many times the Lord appears as a pillar of smoke and fire. Remember when they went out in Egypt, when they went out into the desert, the Lord let them out. By day, he was a pillar of smoke so that they, number one, could see him and number two, could rest in his shadow. It's hot in the desert in the day. And smoke causes what? A shadow. So the Lord protected his people by being a shadow. By night, he became a pillar of fire so that they could, number one, A, see, and number two, it's cold in the desert, Keep warm at night. See, the Lord was providing warmth. And so this symbol of the Lord passes through death. Here's God passing through death in order to show Abram the surety of his promise. Now look what it says. Which passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. I want to talk to you for a little while tonight, and I know this is going to take some thinking because it's not your usual kind of message. But I really want to talk to you about the benefit of dying. <laughs> uh, not physically now, although I don't think... I think Americans have a better attitude about physically dying than they do about relationships dying. According to a recent uh, survey of a certain denomination, 80% of the people surveyed did not have, did not see death as an enemy necessarily. Ninety percent said, if I'm in some sort of horrible accident, don't use life support. Or a very minimal form of life support. I don't think very many people are afraid of dying physically. But when it comes to dying emotionally or dying in a relationship, that's a, that's a different story. I want to show you tonight how God brings life through death. And how certain forms of death are what transform us into what we need to be. It is woven into the fabric of the universe that, that, the, that the nothingness of death has an influence on our lives. As a matter of fact, some of you know, who've known me for a long time, know I love to read about theoretical physics. And there are many books that talk about the structure of the universe. And you will know that much of the structure of our universe is um, um, imputed to forms of nothingness. That is, the, the black holes, you know. What are they? They're nothing. They're, they're gravity. They're nothing. They're negative, see. But yet it was supposed to be. Now, I'm not talking, don't get all aroused here with the number, counting the years and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, this is just an overview point. I'm treading on dangerous ground, I know. But, but it's imputed that in the structure of the universe that nothingness was at our very beginning. It is imputed not only by physics, but also by the Bible. In the beginning was, in the beginning, God. <laughs> I just drew a blank. <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <laughs> and the earth was formless. And look at that next word. What's it say? Void. It was nothing. See? Um, it is estimated that 90% of the, 
of the universe today, listen to this, is made up of antimatter or shadow matter. They can't find it. They, but it's the only way the universe will work with the formulas they have. 90%. There are four forces that run this universe. The first and most powerful is gravity. The second one is nuclear. The, second, the third one is electromagnetic force. They all work on matter to push it or pull it somewhere. But there is a fourth force that they can't name. They just call it the weak force because they can't, they can't find it. They only know of its effects. Now, this is interesting to me because the weak force only works if you're very, very close to it. As a matter of fact, it will only work if you are 10 to the minus 17th power. Close to, to minus 17th meter, meters. Minus, that's 17 zeros above a one, or below a one. Close to this thing. And it doesn't act like the other forces act. It doesn't push. It doesn't pull. It does what is called transmutation. In other words, it simply makes things change what they are. It changes things in their structure. Now, the Bible talks about a weak force and about how laughable it is to people who only operate on the basis of strength. Look, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He's talking about a negative, the crucifixion. And how silly it is to many people that God could be crucified. He says in verse 22, For indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. Now those are two positive things. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now look at this. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The Bible talks about the negative aspects of life, about death in life, and about the profound, the profound uh, transformation it has for us. In 1 Corinthians 15, when they're trying to, 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 to explain a, a spiritual body, it says, look, unless a seed falls to the ground and what? Dies. Then that spiritual body can't happen. That's the only way it can be fruitful. Death is fruitful. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 7, unless I go away, I can't send the Holy Spirit. There's no vacuum. There's no nothingness. There's no void for me to fit into. I have to go away. I have to die. The covenant is a way of working for our improvement 
through death. Now, it's not we who have to die because God has provided the sacrifice. See? It's not us who die completely. But still, we have to be willing to die. We have to be willing to give ourselves up. And for those of you who have ever been destroyed and been made stronger because of it, you'll know the importance of that dynamic in life. You'll know the importance of letting go of your own strength. You'll know the importance of being transformed. Romans 12.2 By simply the renewing of your mind rather than becoming stronger and stronger in who you are. Historically, the two countries that were most hurt by the Second World War were Japan and Germany. Who are the strongest economic powers in the world today? Japan and Germany. Why? Because they were completely wiped out. And they had to start out brand new. And because they had to build what was brand new, and because their people had to come back from almost destruction, they were given the impetus to be one of the most, two of the most powerful nations in the world. What helped them? Their destruction. Some of you know what it is psychologically to miss somebody tremendously in your life. My dad died when I was young. My dad not being there for me was probably one of the most profound influential aspects of my life. Because my dad was not there, I had to take care of my family. At least I thought I did. Because my dad was not there, I had to look after my mom and my sister and I had to to take responsibility. It was the void in my life. It was the death in my life that had profound influences on me. God says that in order for me to make you what I want to make you, you've got to be willing to die. You've got to be willing to give up into the influence of weakness. Because you know what? When you really, really die, you only got to die once. You can avoid the trauma of death with pre-registration. You can die way ahead of time. Then you never have to be afraid of it again. I know a story about a, about a, a guy who decided to go to a mission field in a very dangerous part of Africa. And people who loved him were trying to dissuade him, saying, no, please don't go. It's very dangerous. And he kept telling them, I'm going to go. I've got to go. I, I prayed about it, and this is where I'm supposed to go. And they said, but if you go over there, you could die. And he looked at him and he said, oh, I died when I decided to go. See? He got it over with ahead of time. When you try to hold on to things in your life, when you try to control relationships, you're dying inch by inch. Once you get a hold get it over with ahead of time. Die to the form. Say, God, whatever you want to do with this, this is yours. I am giving it to you. Walk through the destruction of this relationship. Walk through and give me life. Now let me tell you how that happens biblically. There's an exchange in the covenant of identities. It's not just God walking through that. 
But it's God taking you through that. What happened when God split the Red Sea? It wasn't just God that passed through, was it? It was all the children of Israel and passed through on dry land. God does the same with you and with me when we decide to swap identities. That is also the other characteristic of a covenant. Turn to First, first uh, Samuel 18. I don't have this mark. I'm going to be looking for it with you. First Samuel 18. I want to show you about a covenant relationship between David and Jonathan. Let me just read the first four verses to you and what happened in their covenant relationship. Now it came about that when he finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and he gave it to David with his armor including his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, what is the transaction of a covenant? Not only does God provide a sacrifice, does God provide the death that will help us get over the old life, but he also switches identities with us because that's the form of a covenant. When you, form a, when you formed a covenant, you took off your robe and you gave it to another person. And you put your robe on them, and they became you. They began to have your personality, your person. That was a sign that I, my life is now covering this person and transforming this person. What does the New Testament say to do with Christ? It says, put on Christ, doesn't it? What's it say to do with the filthy rags of the old man? Put off the filthy rags, see? In other words, take off what covered you before, now put on Christ. Because you have a covenant with Christ. It's His personality. What are we supposed to attain? The mind of Christ. You see? There's a covenant there. You switch identities. You don't just have your own identity anymore. Not only do you switch identities, but He begins to take on what is yours. Read in Isaiah 53. How can this happen? Reason Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening, chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourge we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see the switching of the identities in the covenant. You say, why did Christ have to suffer? That's not justice. I ought to be paying for my own sins. It's because there was a switching of identities. And he took on our sin. We took on his robe of righteousness. Not only that, but he gives us 
his shield for protection. What does is, what is uh, Romans 12.19 uh, say? It says this, if you don't have it right on the tip of your tongue. It says this, don't take vengeance. Why? Because vengeance is mine. Look, when people come after you, and you are the child of God, and you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, you know who they're messing with? God. Holy cow. Some of you who, who knew me uh, from days past, remember there was a character that lived in my neighborhood, Red Bricker? And you remember, remember this story about Red in the tree? Yeah, let me tell it to those of you who, who don't. Red Bricker was kind of the neighborhood bully. He wasn't very mean, but he was just so big and so much bigger than the rest of us. It just He was awesome in his strength, you know, and we were all real afraid of him. And Red had to be the boss. I mean, you didn't ever make suggestions to Red. You just took orders from Red. But he was your bully. He was your neighborhood bully. And therefore, when anybody else in any of the other neighborhoods tried to mess with you, they were messing with Red. And I can remember being out in my backyard one time building a treehouse because Red came over to my house early in the morning and said, Hunter, let's build a treehouse. And I said, yes, sir. I would love to build a treehouse. And so Red went and got the boards, put them down below this huge silver maple we had in the backyard. And he said, Hunter, I'll climb up the tree and I will lower a rope so that you fasten the boards on the rope and I'll bring the rope up and I'll bring the boards up. I said, yes, sir, I'll do that. So here he's in this tree. It's full of foliage. You can't see through those leaves for anything. And here's Red in the middle of that tree lowering down this rope. I'm tying the boards on and Red's bringing them up. Well, I had just tied a board on the end of the rope. Red had just brought it up. And around my garage come the boys from the West End Boulevard. Now, they hated me. They hated everybody on Seltzer Street. But here they come. And all they see is me standing there. They don't see Red in the tree. They start for me. They come over to me. And they look at me and say, Hunter. I said, yeah. said, looks like we got you all alone, boy. And I looked at him and I said, looks like that, doesn't it? <laughs> then they turned mean, see. I could feel Red Bricker just hunched up on the limb right above me. I was going to enjoy this. They said... Looks like you need a beating, boy. And I said, looks like it, doesn't it? <laughs> they said, we're going to kill you. And I said, come ahead. <laughs> they did. They got about five feet from me, and Red jumped out of that tree Yelling and screaming. You never heard, you never saw looks on faces like those boys. They're just like this. And they took off running. You know what? When people threaten you, guess who's on that limb right up there? Come ahead. 
You know, you're not. You think you're threatening me? You think I'm all alone in this? Come ahead. You have God's protection because you have God's shield. You have God's identity. That's the covenant in Jesus Christ. You've died to yourself. And you are alive to Jesus Christ. You have God's strength. David gave Jonathan, or Jonathan gave David his sword. So here's your, here's my sword. And he takes on our weakness. Boy, who gets the best of that bargain? See, we switch identities. It is so important. But first, first, you've got to be willing to die. First, you've got to be willing. Oops, I knew I was going to fall off here someday. We've been designing the new worship space. And there's, I can't go down the steps. There's a railing here, you know. But anyhow, we have to be willing to give our identities to Christ. Now, you know what? In this culture, that's the toughest thing in the world to do. You know why? Because i got to be me. You know, this old Frank Sinatra scenario mentality. I did it my way. I heard somebody sing that at a funeral one time, and it gave me the heebie-jeebies. I did it my way? Oh, great. A lot of hope here. You know, hope this guy's he's got asbestos on in there. Good grief. I did it my way. It is so important. Sorry, I shouldn't kid about that. That's a very serious thing. It is so important for us to be able to say, God, this is not an equal partnership. See? It's not Hegelian. It's not like synthesis, antithesis, I'm sorry, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. It's not like we're combining together to to do something that's kind of us both. It It is like Kierkegaard said. It's either or. You can't have both. You either will one thing with your heart, and that's to be like God, or you have a hundred things that you're trying to do at once. And that is totally frustrating. You see what it is to die to self. You see why Jesus came along and said, He who comes after me, take up your cross. Because we've switched identities, and we've got to be willing to die with him. But if we're willing to die with him, Romans 6 says that we die to the old life and we die to its power and we die to its slavery and we die to its fear and we die to its anxiety and we die to everything it can do to us. Are you afraid because you have had destruction in a relationship? Then you haven't died yet. You've got to die. You've got to make yourself God's And let him take on this cause. Give your identity to Jesus Christ. Let him do the loving. Let him do the reconciling. Let him pray with your mouth and with your heart. Let him be the one who manages the relationship from now on. And then, love like Christ. Very important. Let me ask you something. Are you willing to die to yourself? It's not an easy question to answer. Some of you think, I've already done that. 
But you go on operating in fear. And every time you give a situation to him, you take it right back. And so the answer is, no, not yet. Let me give you another chance tonight. Knowing what you know now, knowing that God wants to make a covenant for you, with you, He has brought you through that divided sacrifice, and that divided sacrifice is Jesus Christ. God Himself has walked you through the life of Jesus Christ. You know what they do in a Passover? They put three three uh, pieces of matzah together in a in a in a, uh, a cloth, and they take. Now these are Jewish people who don't understand about Jesus Christ. We did this when we had the Passover here. And they take the middle piece out and they break it. They don't know why they're doing it. Yes, could you do that? Why do you break that middle piece? I don't know. Tradition. They have no idea they are reenacting the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the one that gets broken is the Son. And then they hide that. That that afikomen is the is the Greek word for it. And then later on in the supper, when they go through the part about redemption, they bring that broken piece out, and everybody eats of that broken piece. This is in a Jewish household. And then they bring out the cup. This is the third cup taken in the Passover ceremony. And it is the cup of redemption. It is this cup that Jesus said, this is my blood given for you. The blood of the new covenant, the new agreement is given for you. We're going to do that right now. And I would like for you, if you are a believer or you tonight want to become a believer, to partake of this and I want you to swap identities with Jesus Christ. Pray with me right now, would you please? God, as we come to this table, I ask you to remind us of the Passover. The Passover that came through death. The Passover where you went down in the streets of Egypt and you singled out your people according to the blood and you passed through death in order to save them. There are things in our relationships, Lord, that are leading to death. And I would ask you to help us give them up right now, to let those aspects die. There is a selfishness and a self-concern in many of our relationships that will ultimately lead to loneliness. And I would ask you, please, with the Spirit of Christ, with that weak force that will not push or pull, but it will only transform, with that force, come to us. Come close enough and let us rest in you as we ask you to live in our hearts to transform that selfishness into love so that we can love like Christ loved. And we can give ourselves even as he gave himself. We confess before we come to this table our selfishness, whether or not we've been saved up to this point. 
And we confess our desire to control and to manage. And God, we ask you to forgive us. You say in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, why didn't it say merciful and just? It said it because you are being faithful to your covenant, to the promise that you have given Abraham and Moses and David and now perfectly through Jesus. You are being faithful to your children. And we thank you for that as we come to your table right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.